Well, Psalm 9, beginning in verse 11, hear now the very word of God written for you and for me today. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. When he avenges blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may tell of all your praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they made, in the net which they hid, their own foot is caught. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Meditation, Selah. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord. Do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, and may he add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, people of God, David had many things in his heart and mind, some of which were dark and sinful, some of which were godly and full of light. As the Spirit was at work in David, and he opened David's eyes to know and see the riches of his divine grace, as he caused David to see his good providence towards David and many of the works that he had done, David had a full heart and an open mouth, both in praise and proclamation. There was a commitment to regular, wholehearted vertical praise to God, as well as horizontal proclamation of all God's marvelous works to men and women like you and me. Oh, how great is our God, beloved. How great he is. His marvelous works of creation and redemption are renowned. He is great in his loving kindness, in his mercy, and in his patience. Our God is also great In judgment. And this truth flows from David's lips in song in Psalm 9. When God shows himself in judgment, when he shows himself in defense of his people, their enemies have no choice but to retreat. And yet even so, David said that even when they would try to retreat, they would fall and fail. They would still come to ruin under the almighty power of the living God. Their doom would be sure. And as David spoke of God's judgment, he did so both in regards to what God had already done, as well as to what was yet to come. David knew that God had come to his defense, and in verse 4, he acknowledges that to the Lord. He knew that God had rebuked the nations and destroyed many wicked, blotting out their name even. 
And yet David also proclaimed God as the one who is unchanging and everlasting in his being. Praise the Lord. He is unchanging and he is everlasting in his power and in his perfection as the one who has established his throne for judgment. How wonderful it is to know that Jesus is enthroned in heaven as he rules the world even now. And he will soon bring ultimate and final judgment against the world from that same throne. This great and righteous judge is the one also marvelously that we take refuge in. We have the fear of the Lord in our heart and before our eyes. But that fear is not terror. That fear is awe and reverence. That fear drives us to love. It drives us to Christ. We go to the great and terrible one, to some. We go to him for refuge. We know him well. And we are known by him. And therefore we trust him. And we also trust him because we know his promises and his faithfulness. We know Christ's perfect track record as he has never forsaken those who seek him. That was such a wonderful verse in our context, wasn't it? Again, it's not just that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. He has never forsaken any who seek him. And it's from this place, it's from this knowledge, that more joy flowed from David. See this in our text tonight. And so let's consider David's praise for the one who avenges and remembers in verses 11 through 14. The wicked and the nations and his words about them in 15 through 18. And David's plea to not let man prevail in verses 19 and 20. But look at his words in 11. Really the joy from his heart. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. So after all that he had said, leading up in verse 10, where does David return? Praise and proclamation. Praise and proclamation. Whereas David opened this psalm by praising God himself, see that he now calls God's people to lift up their voices in worship and adoration to God. Sing praises to the Lord, he says. Come and join me, he is saying. Know that as the Spirit does his gracious work in us, as we grasp more and more of how great God is and how greatly he is to be praised, we don't only desire to be wholehearted in our praise of him, but we also desire that others would join us as true worshipers. Even as we see the Lord's words in John 4, 23. And further, God's people know the Lord who is our refuge, the God who has never forsaken us and never will. He is the living God who does what? He condescends to dwell with his people. We see that here in verse 11 as well. 
David here spoke to the special and gracious presence of God in Zion. And why? Because the Ark of the Covenant was there. And yet David's words also point us to the special residence of God's grace in the church. For God's special presence is now within believers. Remember the Apostle Paul's words as he gave a strong reason for Corinth to flee sexual immorality and to walk in purity with their bodies. What did he say in 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20? He said, beginning in verse 18, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And note verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. And therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. See that wonderful question in verse 9. Do you not know? Have all the more zeal and the passion to flee. To not engage in sin, but to resist it and to run to Christ. Why? Because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you have that from God. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Run. Keep that body holy and pure. And therefore, considering the God who is is ever present with us, David also called God's people to do what? Again, go tell of his marvelous works, go tell of his deeds. Declare his deeds among the nations. Go far and wide. In Psalm 107, verses 21 and 22, we read this. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Beloved, when we rejoice, when the joy of the Lord is filling our heart, and those words of praise are overflowing from our mouths, it all the more fuels us to make such declaration with rejoicing. We tell and we're joyful about the words that we share. We can't but have the joy of the Lord in our hearts as we tell of his deeds. They go inseparably together. And even one fuels the passion of the other. In Psalm 66, verse 16, Come and hear, all you that fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. talking about an invitation to come and hear of the wonderful works of God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. All you who fear God, are you a God-fearer? Come, come and listen to me. I will tell you the wonderful things he has done for my soul. 
the great salvation of our God that he has granted to me, he has rescued me and delivered my soul. And so in verse 12 of Psalm 9, David says, when he avenges blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. And now when David speaks of God avenging blood, the the Hebrew literally means he who is searching or seeking bloods. As God comes to our defense, as he is the just judge, he is also the one who avenges the blood of the innocent. And this avenging or searching bloods here, It teaches us of God's investigation of acts of violence in order to properly punish the guilty. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, you may be familiar with this verse, but here was a great decree of justice and what would happen to the bloodthirsty. Whoever sheds man's blood... By man his blood shall be shed. And why? For in the image of God he made man. Note that when God avenges, David says he remembers them. God remembers every drop of the innocent blood that the wicked have shed, and he will return it sevenfold upon their heads. In Nahum, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, there was this great proclamation of the Lord. God is jealous, and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The wicked can't for a moment think that they can get away with it when it comes to God. They're not going to be acquitted. He has reserved wrath for them. And he is furious in his vengeance. But God doesn't only remember them, but he also doesn't forget the cry of the humble, David says. He doesn't forget those who have been brought low by pain and misery. God doesn't forget those who bow low before him and submit themselves to him, especially in dire and difficult circumstances. He doesn't forget those who in him, excuse me, he doesn't forget those who in obedience to his commands don't seek to take vengeance into their own hands, but walk faithfully before him, knowing that such belongs to him. Remember Paul's words as he lays this truth regarding vengeance very clearly for us in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 17. He says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And notice verse 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
Beloved, God is the avenger, not us. And so God wouldn't forget David. And David took joy in this. However, David also knew that though he sought to walk in humility before the Lord, he was a sinner who desperately needed divine mercy. We see this over and over again in David's words, don't we, throughout the Psalms. Here we see it again. He knew that he was a sinner in need of divine mercy. He desired God's favor even to one who was so undeserving as himself. Look at verse 13. He says, Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me, you who lift me up from the gates of death. As God remembered and didn't forget, David pleaded with his Lord to consider his trouble, to consider his current situation, his misery and affliction at the hands of his enemies, in order that God would deliver him and bring him out of it. For David knew that it was God and only God who could preserve his life and deliver him from the mouth of the grave. For like one closely approaching the gates of a city, so David describes here his closeness to death without divine intervention. He was at the gates of death. But yet, he called out to the merciful God for his mercy upon him, for his deliverance from the mouth of the grave. Matthew Henry said this, We are never brought so low, so near to death, but God can raise us up. That's important to remember. It is a good truth. Sometimes we think we're too far gone. It's too late, not even God could or maybe would intervene. No, he can raise us up if that would be his will. If he has saved us from spiritual and eternal death, Matthew Henry says, we may thence take encouragement to hope in all our distresses. He will be very present to help us. We have good hope with the Lord. We should always cry out, with our pleas, in our times of need, and our troubles. He is the great deliverer. He is the judge and the avenger. But he is our God who loves us and comes to our aid and our defense. And further, we see another glimpse of David's desire and his heart and the reason for his plea. And really, that reason was what, if you see verse 14, that, that God would receive all the glory. That's why he asked what he did. In verse 14, he said, that I may tell of all your praise in the gates of the daughters of, daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in your salvation. If it was God's will, David desired that God would give David yet another occasion to open his mouth in declaration of the wonderful works of God in deliverance. And notice that in the contrast with the gates of death, David would praise God for such answered prayer in his salvation in the grand public places of Jerusalem. 
I will go to the gates. These are the places where conversation and debate and and decisions and, and business was carried out by men in the city at the gates. These were important places and busy places in the life of the city. I will go there and I will declare your works to all who are there and come through and come by. Oh Lord, save me. I, I will rejoice in your salvation, Lord, for you can. I pray that you will, David was saying. And what was true of David's enemies? What was true as he was afflicted by those who hated him? Look at verse 15. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they made, in the net which they hid, their own, feet, their own foot is caught. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. And then interestingly, in this psalm, we have meditation, Selah. Normally, Selah is the word used there, right? To say, pause and think about, meditate on what has just been said here again. The word meditation is given before Selah. We need to think and seriously ponder these very and marvelous words. David's words in these verses should remind us of those regarding sowing and reaping in Psalm 7. Very similar language, but very well connected here. In Psalm 11, verse 15, he said this, He made a pit and dug it out, and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His trouble shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come down on his own crown. Here in Psalm 9, we see very similar language, don't we? The nations went and plotted. They, they prepared. They, they laid the trap. They dug the pit. They laid the snare, and practically and functionally, they walked right into their own devices. And they're caught. They're caught to face the living God. Keep in mind that the Philistines were the aggressors in all of the conflict that David had with them. And what they set out for David's harm would come back against them by the Lord, who is what? Who is known for judgment. (laughs) He has a reputation. And it is a good and godly and righteous reputation. It is a terrifying reputation to his enemies. He is known for judgment. Let that sink in. And even... His works of judgment. They are all a part of and included in his marvelous works that he declares to his people. Undoubtedly, David would declare, having praised the Lord and continuing to praise the Lord, he would declare all of his marvelous works and his deeds, and those deeds would not be void of his judgments of his holiness, of his righteousness and his actions against the wicked. And as the Lord carries out his judgments, look at verses 17 and 18. The wicked shall be turned into hell, 
and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. The Hebrew word here, beloved, for hell is Sheol. And it can refer to death or the grave or the place of the punishment of the wicked. And as verse 8 of this psalm points us to the last and final judgment of the world, so too does this verse and this use of the word here point us to the same. And so the wicked in general, which includes such nations who forget God, really forgetting God is the cause of wickedness in the world in many ways. They don't revere him or obey his law. They don't heed his threats and judgment. They would rather scoff or laugh. Rather, they go on in their wicked ways. They are the ones who will be cast into that dreadful and terrible place of everlasting hell. And what's more is that though it may seem like God had forgotten the needy and the poor, maybe even from their own perception, as they continued under the thumb of their enemies, reality was that they weren't forgotten. Not for a second. And though the phrase is used frequently in this way, know that the poor and needy here isn't necessarily referring to the materially poor and needy, but rather it's likely referring to those who are humbly dependent on the Lord. God would deal with their oppressors and save them so that the rejoicing in their salvation would come from all the lips of his people, not just David. We would all rise up and praise the Lord for his deliverance. And indeed, we have seen and we bear witness and testimony to the great deliverance that we have in Jesus Christ. Indeed, we, re- we rejoice to the Lord and in the Lord for his work and his salvation that is full and complete to us because of Christ. Look at verse 19 as David then makes a petition to the Lord and he calls to the Lord saying, Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Beloved, David's desire was that from his throne, God would use his power and demonstrate his strength in dealing with his foes. And in essence, he said, Lord, don't let these puny mortal men prevail against your purposes and kingdom. And how did, God, how did David desire that God would do so? Look at verse 20. Put them in fear, O Lord that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah. Flip their world upside down. Wicked nations, beloved, thrive in their pride and arrogance. They glory in being fearless and ruthless. And though they float in the clouds of their own success and conquest, They need to be brought back down to earth in judgment. And that's what David prayed for. That's what David sought the Lord for. 
see that fear would be absent unless God put it in them. And with that fear, then they would remember God. Then they would know and be in terror of the God who is known for judgment and will execute judgment, let alone the specific judgments that he brings against them. The nations may be mighty, my friends, but but then they would know that they are but men. They are the creature, and he is the mighty creator. They are men under the almighty wrath of the sovereign. Beloved, I, I pray this passage has stirred your heart about the sovereign and avenging judge, the the Lord Jesus Christ also, who has rescued you from his vengeance. Remember that, that Christ has saved you. You are saved by Christ. You are saved from wrath. And that is the wrath that he himself will unleash on the wicked. You have been rescued from his vengeance. See his care afresh, his compassion and his mercy towards you in Christ as as those who seek him, coupled with the actions that he has taken, is taking and will take as as he stands for your cause and defend you. See all these things and praise him and love him for that. Like David, praise the God of your salvation. For you too are an undeserving sinner, once numbered among the wicked and the nations. And yet as Christ pursues sinners, as he has redeemed you and has made you a welcome recipient of his grace and his action for you, as he avenges and brings judgment, as he promises to do so in that great day to come, we therefore stand with open mouths, like David. We stand with open mouths in praise and proclamation of his marvelous deeds, even his fear-inducing judgment. Again, this, this psalm is a wonderful, multifaceted psalm that shows us the many attributes of our God. And they are all glorious, every single one of them. I pray that praise is further invigored in your heart tonight. Amen. Praise God for his word. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, O Lord, we thank you for this word of yours to us tonight. This is exactly what you wanted us to hear and what we need to hear. We pray for your spirit's work in our hearts, Lord, that you would press these truths in and that we would see you for who you are, praise you for who you are, and be comforted for who you are. That we would praise and proclaim, Lord. Help us. Help us where we are weak in that. Help us where we are not wholehearted in that. That you may receive the glory and that your majesty and your marvelous deeds would be proclaimed for all to hear. For all need to hear, Lord. Help us, we pray. We love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.